Alexander the Great and Caesar, Charlemagne and I have built great empires. But upon what did they depend? Force. But centuries ago, Jesus started an empire that was built on love. And even to this day, millions will die for him. That was Napoleon Bonaparte said that. My objective the next few weeks is that you will get to know Jesus better. That you will know him as your best friend. We get to know him just like we get to know anyone. We learn a person's name. We learn a little bit about their life history. Get to know what they like and don't like. We have a growing appreciation for their personality. We, we like them and want to spend time with them. And the same is true with Jesus. Knowing Jesus is life's greatest priority. Philippians 3.8 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Knowing Christ better is life's greatest challenge. Second Peter 1 2 says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. So what does it take to get to know someone better? I'm going to share with you four levels of relationship, according to sociologists. First of all, you learn someone's name. That's the recognition level. Ah, I make it my aim to know all of your names. So give me some slack if I forget. And also your children's names. I feel like that's very important, too, because I, I want to know them and, and their name. Secondly, you learn the details of their life, and that's the acquaintance level. Where they were born. Who's in their family? Where do they work? They become an acquaintance. Then thirdly, you appreciate their personality. And this is the friendship level. You genuinely like them and want to spend time together. The fourth level is you understand what's important to them, and that's the intimacy level. You know their values, what makes them tick, what's on their heart, and you respect them for it. So in order to know someone better, you have to spend time with them, and that's true with Jesus, spending time with him. Well, let's start off at the recognition level and talk about some names of Jesus. Does anyone remember that huge poster that had a lot of names of Jesus with a giant I am in the middle? Anyone remember that? The first way you get to know someone is obviously you meet them for the first time. You find out their name. Someone has counted 184 names of Jesus in the Bible. We're not going to look at every one of those, but let's look at a few. Shakespeare asks, what's in a name? We may name our child after a relative or simply we like the name. But long ago, people, especially Jewish people, did not name their children that way. They, they named their child in a way that they would fulfill some kind of purpose or maybe fit a position or of a promise. In doing so, that child would fulfill God's will for him or her. And their name indicated that. And that was true of Jesus. Here are some names of Jesus before he was born. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Now, you may say, well, isn't that a reference to the father? No, look at Isaiah 9, 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Another name before Jesus was born was Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah 7:14. Jesus was given a name at birth. Now, Kathy and I had boys names picked out ahead of time. We were solid on boys names. If we would have had girls, we would have been in trouble. But Mary and Joseph were told what to name their son. Jesus. Matthew 121. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means God is salvation. Yeshua. Savior, then, is Jesus's purpose for being born. Look at Luke 2, 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Again, we see Savior, Christ's purpose for coming into the world. Christ is a term that means anointed one or Messiah. That was his promise to the world. He was be the promised Messiah. And Lord means king. That's Jesus's position as king of the universe. This baby and the wise men knew it. Jesus called himself many names like son of God, son of man. And in John's gospel, he uses the phrase, I am seven times. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth and the life. There's power in the name of Jesus to do many things for us. The name of Jesus were anointed in that name. We're forgiven by that name. We're baptized in that name, justified. We assemble in that name. We believe, we call on, we give thanks. We have life. We preach, we speak, we suffer. We do everything in the name of Jesus. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Jesus is the greatest name. Let's look at some details of Jesus's life. That's the acquaintance level. Someone becomes an acquaintance. We, we find out more about them. Jesus's life didn't begin at birth or end at his death on the cross. In fact, his time on earth was actually the shortest part of his life. Thirty three years on earth. What did Jesus do before he was born in Bethlehem at approximately three B.C.? This is called his pre-existence. This means he always existed. John 1, 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus created the universe along with the father and the Holy Spirit. We see that in Colossians 1.16, for by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He appeared in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord on occasion. 
Sometimes he would appear to people as a supernatural being, an angel, or sometimes he'd look like an ordinary man. That's called a theophany or a Christophany. It's people had encounters with Jesus in the Old Testament before he was born. I think it's worth our time for me to read a few of those encounters. And if you're intrigued by that, you can dive into more of it on your own. Genesis 16, 7 through 14. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he asked, he says, Hera, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Beer Mahoy Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Berid. Genesis 18, 1 to 2. And the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed down himself to the earth. This story continues with two of these men. We're told in chapter 19 that they're angels, and it was the Lord talking with him. Appearing as a man, I believe it was Jesus. Genesis 32, 24 to 30. And Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face. And yet my life has been delivered. Joshua 5, 13 to 15. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Not an ordinary man, obviously. Judges 13. 
Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that it was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. Jesus's birth is his incarnation, which is in the flesh. That's what that word means. So God in the flesh. Jesus became a human. John 1.14, and the word, which we already saw in John 1.1, which was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I want to share with you six major time periods of Jesus's earthly life. Boyhood is the first. Not much is written in the Bible about Jesus's Boyhood. There are some non-canonical literature that tells some really weird stories of Jesus praying for dead birds and them coming back to life, such like that. But in the Bible, his boyhood, his birth is described in Bethlehem in some detail. His dedication in the temple at eight days old, his flight to Egypt from Herod at age two. He had a conversation with some religious scholars in the temple at age twelve. He had four brothers and two sisters, the Bible tells us. John the Baptist was his cousin. So were James and John. The ages from 12 to 30 is totally silent in the Bible about Jesus's life. We know during that time period he was a tecton, which the translators translate carpenter. But a tecton worked with more than just wood, other building materials. Jesus is earthly existence. He was a manual laborer, a blue collar worker. We have the beginning of Jesus's ministry as the second phase, which is a short phase at age 30, where he was baptized by John in the Jordan River that served kind of like an ordination, if you will, and then was tempted in the wilderness immediately after that. Oftentimes, young ministers are tried by fire and proven worthy to serve. Thirdly, we have his ministry in Judea in the south. Cleansing of the temple and the conversation with Nicodemus are a part of that. And that's found in John's gospel, chapters two and three. Fourth is his ministry in Galilee in the north. 
the bulk of his three year ministry was spent there. The Sermon on the Mount happened there, calling his disciples. Most of his teaching and miracles happened in the north. He eventually went to the farthest north point around Mount Hermon, where we have Peter's confession and his transformation. Fifth area is his journey to Jerusalem, where he goes from that farthest point north and he's heading south to Jerusalem. He has clashes with the Pharisees. He raised Lazarus from the dead and Mary anoints his body for burial. The sixth and final section of his life is called his passion. And that was the last week of his life. John devotes nearly half of his gospel to the last eight days of Jesus's life. That's how important it was. The triumphal entry, the last supper, his arrest, trial, execution, resurrection, post resurrection appearances and ascension to heaven. And Jesus is in heaven now at the right hand of the father. What does he look like? I believe he still exists in his resurrected body. Let me read a couple of passages on that. Acts 1, 9 through 11. And and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, angels, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Acts 7, 55 and 6. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, this is Stephen, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And Philippians 3, 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to Himself. I believe when we see Jesus in heaven, we'll see his crucifixion wounds. What does Jesus do in heaven? The Bible says he rules. First Peter three twenty two, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. He prays in heaven. Hebrews seven twenty five. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. If you feel that no one is praying for you, know this. Jesus is. He is holding the universe together. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is preparing a place for you. John 14, one through three. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Very encouraging.
Let's look briefly at Jesus's personality, the friendship level. So we've learned some names about Jesus and we learned some details about his life. The most significant personality trait of Jesus is his deity. He is God. He always was God and he became a man. He will always be God and man. The Athanasian Creed puts it, our Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God, is God and man, perfect God and perfect man. This is his hypostatic union which is the union of undiminished deity and perfect humanity forever. How do we know Jesus is God? He claimed to be. He claimed equality with God. John 5:18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. He claimed sonship. Matthew 26. But Jesus remained silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you. From now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He claimed deity. John eight fifty eight. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew exactly what he meant by that. They tried to kill him as a result. Others said he was God. Prophets of the Old Testament. There's some 332 Old Testament prophecies that point to him. His disciples said he was God. Here are three of the clearest. John 20, 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Romans 9, 5. To them belong the patriarchs. This is the Jews. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. Titus 2.13, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Many people worshiped Jesus, especially those whom he healed, and he accepted their worship. We have a story where Paul and Barnabas were about to be worshipped by people for a healing, and they refused that worship. And an angel in Revelation 19.10, whom John was about to bow down and worship, refused the worship. We must only worship the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But Satan wants human worship and demands it. He does what only God can do. He forgives sin. Mark 2, 6-7. Now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And he will judge the world. He has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of God. This is why Jesus deserves to be worshipped because of who he is. I'll finish this sermon on Jesus uh, in two weeks. So let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our friend. Thank you, Lord God, for sending him to us to die on the cross for our sins, that we might have a relationship with you through him. For you accept his sacrifice for our sins, that we might know you. And Lord, as we come to the table to receive the elements, Lord, I pray that you would forgive any sin that we confess in this moment here before we take these elements. That we quiet our hearts, that we will experience you and know you in a, in a different way through these elements, Lord, that you've given us your body and blood. So I pray that this will be a, a holy time of being with you in a special and unique way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.